Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Laura Klein. Probably need this. Hi, everybody. How's everybody doing today? Good? Hi, I am Laura. I am the author of UX for Lean Startups. And um, my job, such as it is, is to work with people to take ideas and turn them into actual things that people want to use. And so here's something that I see an awful lot. People, uh, people have ideas. People have a lot of ideas, tons of ideas. It turns out ideas are incredibly easy and fun things to have. The hard part, of course, sometimes is understanding what's a great idea and what's a really stupid idea. You know, just from hearing somebody tell you about them, because we all think that our ideas are wonderful. They're all naturally great. I'm sure all of your ideas are great. It's the other people's we're worried about. So the real trick is finding out whether your idea is one of the great ones or one of the stupid ones before you spend a huge amount of time and money actually building a product. So what I'm going to do today is I'm going to look at a few, just a few of the ways that I've seen work really well for figuring out if your idea is stupid. Probably isn't. Okay, so here's, here's one. Have you tried building a landing page? Oh my god, of course you have. I mean, look at where you are. If you haven't built a landing page yet, you get your lean card revoked, right? And a landing page is a phenomenal way to find out something. It is a phenomenal way to test whether your idea is good enough for somebody to give you their email address. And for those of you, by the way, just who haven't been in the sort of lean echo chamber for the last five minutes, a landing page is exactly that. It's a page that you put up generally on the web. You tell people how wonderful your product is going to be, and then you say, and give me your email address, and I will tell you when the product is done. That's pretty much what it does. And they are great, as I said, for telling you whether people want to give you their email addresses. If you're really fancy. I'm really fancy. If you're really fancy, you can sometimes test different landing pages against each other to see which of your brilliant ideas is the most brilliant. And here's the problem. Landing pages, although they are the standard, are really good for absolutely nothing else. They tell you nothing else. So if you have, if you have an idea and you want to find out if it is good enough for somebody to give you their email address in exchange for that idea, landing page away. This is what, this is what you want to do. You may go. You will learn nothing else. But if you want to validate any other parts of your product or your idea, eh, you're going to want to maybe think beyond landing pages. So who here has actually who here has tried a landing page? Who's, who gets their lean card punched? Okay, a few of you need to speak to me after class. Um, who's tried anything else? Who's tried validating stuff in other ways? Okay, a few. A few of you are going to be bored out of your minds. Great. Okay, so. Here are some of the ideas. Here are some of the ways. You've probably heard of some of these. You probably have a pretty good idea what some of these are. What I'm going to do is I'm going to talk through a little bit about how you do each one very quickly um, and what each one of them is good and bad for. Because here's the thing. None of these are good for every product or every idea or every company. Your company might want some of these, some of these methods of validation and not other ones. You may need entirely different ones. We'll see. We'll take a look. So let's jump in and look at audience building. One of the most important things 
<laughs> this, this is going to sound profound, and really it's profoundly stupid, but profoundly obvious. Um, one of the most important things that you can do with your company is to find customers for your product. Learning stuff already? Okay, great. So here's what people normally do. They have a brilliant idea, they go and build a product, and then they launch it, and then they market it and sell it. And they don't find out that it was stupid until after they've done all of that. But here's an idea, why not, why not do that the other way around? Why not get an audience before you actually build your product? Like these companies, thank you, like these companies here have done. Um, companies like Groupon and, and uh, Mint and Mattermark all started essentially blog first. Right? They didn't start with a product. They started with a blog. They started telling people about things in the space. So Mattermark is actually an interesting example. Um, this, I don't know if you guys have heard of them. The CEO had a different company, and uh, she was thinking of pivoting. And so what she did was, before she pivoted her company, she wrote a few blog posts. And they were really interesting blog posts for a certain group of people. Um, they contained really interesting, insightful data about startups and investors. And unsurprisingly, startups and investors loved these blog posts because there is nothing that startups and investors love reading about more than startups and investors. And so the startups and investors got very involved with these. They passed them around. They went viral. They started talking about them. They started correcting them. They, they had lots of discussions. And then unsurprisingly, a couple of months later, Danielle, who was the, the CEO of Mattermark, announced that, oh, by the way, she was going to be providing these really interesting pieces of data about startups and investors for a fee. And the neat thing was, she already had an audience for her startup because she'd already started doing that. She'd already started providing the content for free. And so starting your company with a blog, email list, newsletter, it doesn't have to be a blog, by the way. It could be an email list, newsletter, Facebook group, Twitter stream, whatever the, Snapchat, something, I don't know. Whatever the new thing is that, that is going to connect with your audience can be a fabulous way, not just to pre-market your product, but also to gauge whether or not your product really has the kind of following that you think it does. You're not just gathering email addresses here. You're gathering, you know, humans and interest and mind share. The other big benefit is that not only do you have a built-in group of people who are early adopters, you also have a fabulous list of people that you can actually mine for early user research. So the approach is not for everybody. It's especially effective in areas like finance, investment, things like that, where people are hungry for content, where it's a confusing thing that people are already looking for content about. You know, there, there's no audience building for Snapchat, I don't think. Um, it's really good for specific business markets, where it helps to establish yourself as a trusted expert in the field before you go and launch a product. You know, I don't know that anybody would have given Mint their financial data if they had not already established themselves as people who knew a lot about financial data. But it's also great for products that rely on community. Remember, one of the hardest things about building a marketplace is that you've got to have a buyer and a seller, and it's real hard to get the one without the other. So you've got an empty room problem. But if you start providing content that is attractive to both buyers and sellers in the general marketplace, you give people interested in the space a reason to come to your product long before they make those business connections that are going to keep them there. And that's the key to audience building. It's connection. You need to create and offer valuable information for free. Remember, your blog, your newsletter, whatever, your Twitter stream, those are not about you. They're not about your product. They're not advertisements. They're about honestly helping people within the community connect with data and connect with one another. Okay, so great, you got an audience. Fantastic, well done. Now, you have to validate 
exactly what you're going to give these people, right? Because you've built this audience of people who are interested in you know, finance, whatever it is, some business. Now, you have to understand what, what problem you're really solving for these folks. You need to build a minimum viable product. For those of you playing buzzword bingo, you may now mark off the MVP square again. So, for example, um, Airbnb uh, had an idea that um, their rentals would rent better if they had professional photos taken of the rentals. So um, they could have built a whole thing where they had a whole list of professional photographers and, or hired a bunch of professional photographers and had people scheduling them and do that. They, they did none of that, right? They hired a photographer, sent them out to take pictures of places, and then they posted them on the site. They did an A-B test, and they found out that, yes, indeed, they do rent more places with professional photography. And so then they, they, took that, they could take that from a concierge model to something that was more formal. And so this concierge method of validation is fantastic for helping you figure out exactly what's involved with the process that you're thinking of building. And it's true, concierge does not scale. It does not scale at all. But it's one of the best ways to figure out exactly what goes into that problem that, that you are going to try to automate. And by solving the problem in person, you actually find out which parts are most important to your users. And you find out also which parts are going to make it the hardest for you when you do get around to actually automating it. And so doing concierge is super easy, right? I mean, OK, well, it's not super easy. It's conceptually super easy. Um, it's as hard as whatever the problem is that you're trying to solve. If you're doing concierge for brain surgeons, it's going to be a little tougher. But you just need to really figure out the problem that you are trying to solve. And then you need to offer to do it for people yourself, sometimes for free, just to learn more about it. And again, not perfect for every company. It's particularly good for B2B products, where there's some sort of you know, complicated multi-step problem for users that, that you're trying to really get all of the moving parts. And the key word for concierge here is helping. It's help, right? You are helping people directly to solve perceived problems for them. So, I mean, here's the deal, guys. Like, are you, are you Uber for tacos, right? Great, start taking orders for tacos and start delivering to people by hand. Learn what is involved in the taco delivery process, right? Whatever it is that you are thinking of automating, do it manually first before you spend a lot of time writing code to solve a problem that you don't understand. So here's a great extension of the concierge. It's called the Wizard of Oz test. And uh, I, I will tell you right now, concierge and Wizard of Oz are often mistaken for one another, but I like to split them out because I'm totally pedantic that way. And also there's sort of like this one little important thing. You see, in concierge, you make it very clear that you are a human making assumptions, but you are a human and you are helping other humans personally. With Wizard of Oz, you just hide all the little bits that are being done secretly by humans behind a curtain. So quick example, um, Polyvore, which is a fashion product that is awesome. And uh, a few years back, they decided that they wanted to see if their users might like daily deals. This was like right at the height of the daily deal craze when everybody was offering daily deals. So they thought, well, maybe our users would like that. We're in fashion, right? Let's, let's see if that's something that people want. And uh, so again, they could have gone out, built the whole system, you know, figured out a way to you know, source all this material and integrated with the logistics and back end and all this stuff, all this really hard stuff, right? And again, they didn't do that. What they did was they built the first interaction that the user would have 
on the website, and then they hid everything else behind the curtain. So in other words, they, built a, they, they picked a cute outfit, they built a landing page, they said, we're going to sell this to you for a discount, they directed traffic to it, and then they measured to see how many people actually bought the discounted outfit. Right? They saw how many of these they could actually sell. They faked it. And then when people made orders, they went out and they just bought the clothes at the mall, <laughs> they brought them in, they boxed them up, they shipped them off to people by hand. And here's the interesting thing about this story. If you go to Polyvore today, they don't do daily deals. Which means it was probably a really good idea for them not to have spent all that time automating everything because they found out that it was not going to be a really big part of their business and they had better things to spend their time on. And that's the great thing about Wizard of Oz, because some things are easier and cheaper to do in the short term with humans, but Wizard of Oz helps you do that just-in-time automation, which keeps you from automating things that never need it. So to do a successful Wizard of Oz test, again, unlike concierge, what you're going to do is you're going to build that first, you're going to build the interface for the users, and that's it. Everything else is done on the back end with email and Google Docs and people and hard work and elbow grease. You, Again, totally unscalable, but that's cool. You do unscalable things until it's time to scale them. The goal, fake it, pretend. The user thinks that everything is being done by the product, right? But in reality, all being done by the guy behind the curtain. Oops. So, speaking of faking things, um, there's a there's a thing that I, I think a lot of you guys have heard about, which is called fake doors. And I want to talk a little bit about the right way to implement fake doors. So a fake door is similar to both a landing page and also to Wizard of Oz in that you are going to build that first interaction with the user. right? And then you're going to check to see how many people initiate the process. So for example, let's say you're thinking of selling t-shirts on your site for whatever reason. Um, instead of you know, going out buying t-shirts, building a whole purchasing process, integrating with PayPal, doing all this nonsense, you just you build a t-shirt page and you put a big buy button on it and then when users click on it you count to see how many people clicked on the buy thing so you can sort of estimate how many people you think might be interested in buying t-shirts right so here's an example uh, industrial logic is a company that provides um, training coaching e-learning uh, for software development and uh, they have an e-learning product that allows students to learn online and uh, they were thinking of implementing group chat now you know so that students could talk to one another Here's the thing about group chat. Anybody who's ever actually tried to implement a group chat system knows that it's an absolute pain in the ass to get right. It's actually really hard to do. So instead of spending all this time creating a fabulous group chat system, they put a group chat button in the e-learning system, and then they you know, measured how many people were interested in chatting in a group. And after running the experiment for a while, they realized that they did not get the sort of enthusiastic response that would justify them actually putting the time into building it. And that's what fake doors are great for, seeing who walks through them. They let you know what the interest is on a feature before you spend all of that time building it out. Because why wait until after you've built group chat to realize that nobody wants to chat in a group? You could have learned that in a few minutes. But here's the thing that I get pushed back all the time on fake doors. And I know that at least half of you are thinking this right now. You're thinking, but Laura, I'm going to disappoint my users. They're going to be angry and they're going to leave. And you know what? It's a good argument, right? You might piss off a few of your users. I mean, these people have clicked on a group chat button. They expect to be able to chat in a group. You're not letting them. You're the bad guy. 
But here's the thing, you, it is your job to provide them with a decent experience, even if it's not the experience that they expect. And I've seen enough of these actually implemented to truly believe that I've watched users use these. If you give them good feedback after they take that initial step, after they have that first in interaction, where you assure them that their feedback is valuable, you explain to them what you're doing, you make it clear that this is part of the process, you piss off way fewer people than you actually think you will. Now, you don't want to have a product that is just nothing, just a big fun house full of nothing but fake doors. That's not a good experience for anybody. Using them judiciously, using them on subsets of users, maybe using them only on new users, you can learn a tremendous amount for them. And in the end, you are helping your users by spending your time building features that they will actually use and want, rather than on something that just sounded good in a meeting. But the key here, this is important, is that you have to measure the results of your test. Before you start a fake door test, you need to decide what percentage of your users need to, need to go through the door. All right, 2%, do 2% need to click buy? Is that enough? Do 20% of people need to chat in a group? Is that good? I don't know. You need to decide that, though, before you launch that fake door test. And then you need to believe the results. By doing this, you will save yourself a tremendous amount of time by not building features that nobody was ever going to click on in the first place. Now, the single best way to find out if users are going to buy your product is to sell users your product. Again. Now, there you go. <laughs> um, and I know it can be tough to sell something that, that you don't have. But now, actually, it's less tough to do that because we, all, we have a whole platforms that let us do this, right? Things like Kickstarter and Indiegogo are set up to let you sell your idea. Now, there are some fairly famous disasters with crowdfunding. We're not going to talk about those right now, but there are some successes as well. So a lot of us heard about you know, the Pebble smartwatch and how they raised a lot of money from the crowd when they couldn't get it from VCs. But I think one of the best uses of crowdfunding that I've seen has been from entertainers, people who maybe want to release a new form of entertainment, a new, a new album, a new DVD, a new comic book. Right? Basically, anything that has that fairly large upfront cost to produce, but is only going to work if a lot of people actually buy it, because otherwise you're going to end up with warehouses full of inventory that you just can't sell. And crowdfunding can be a great source, though, not just for that startup money to, to, you know, to buy the inventory, but also as proof that people are willing to pay you for that inventory, right? that they are willing to pay you to solve a problem for them or to entertain them. If you can't sell a two-minute video of yourself promising a product that's going to be great, I don't know they're going to be able to sell the actual product. You want to crowdfund something? Go do it. Go try to sell your product. If your product is B2B or enterprise and is not right for a crowdfunding site, that's fine. Pretend I didn't say crowdfunding. Pretend I said selling. Go to your potential users. Ask for credit cards. Ask for letters of intent. Ask for contracts. Sell your product. Because that's the thing, crowdfunding is all about selling. And if you do not know how to sell, you had better learn real quick. Because selling is a huge part of the entrepreneurial job description. So whether you use a crowdfunding site or just go direct to customers and businesses, the key here is that if you want to know if people are going to buy your product, the best way to do it is to sell it to them. So. Going to wrap up quickly. The next time you find yourself wanting to test something about your product, and I seriously hope that that's like today, right now, 30 minutes from now, um, I want you to think beyond landing pages. I want you to 
you know, think about how to validate the thing that you want to validate. Right? Each of these things is going to teach you something very different than a landing page will. And that is all of them that exist in the world. There are no others. Right? Nope. Someday you're going to want to test something entirely different. I don't know what it is. I don't know when it is. But one day you will find yourself wanting to test something and you're going to look at all these techniques and you're going to go, that bitch was crazy. All of those ideas are useless. No, that's going to work for me and that's fine. Do not panic. If that happens, I want you to do the following. I want you to, one, identify exactly what you want to learn. This is the hard part. Be really specific. Use numbers. Then, I, this, this seems like it would be the hard part, but it isn't. I'll explain why. Come up with your own method of trying to learn exactly that. Same stuff. Here's, the, here's what makes number two possible. Number three, you're going to be wrong. Figure out why you were wrong. Modify the test. Try again. And keep doing it until you get it right and until you've learned what you need to learn. And then I want you to write to me and tell me about it because I kind of collect these things. So in fact, um, i got to go. But um, if you want to write and tell me anything or ask me a question or say hi or ask about LeanUX, whatever, send me an email, laura at usersnow.com. I answer all emails personally eventually. Um, if you want to learn more about ways to test stuff or ways to build stuff people like, check out my book, UX for Lean Startups. Not just about UX and not just for startups, but aside from the incredibly deceptive title, I think you'll enjoy it. And uh, if you have any questions, I'm going to be around after this, and I'm doing a book signing at 440 uh, out in the lobby. So please come and see me then. Thanks very much, guys. <laughs>